I didn't know, but anyway, it's good to be here tonight. I've enjoyed it. Welcome to Kentucky. Welcome to Kentucky. I know it's late, but I still have to preach. They told me I have to preach, but welcome to Kentucky. I like it here, don't you? This is where, uh, let's see, camouflage is a color. Rocky boots are worn, deer shot, beards are kind of prevalent, and you ought to see the men. Uh, but anyway, all right, Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah uh, chapter number 2, I'm honored to get to preach in this conference. I believe it's an important one, and uh, I, I'm glad for the church, like this church, that can host it. Not just any church could host this conference, because the title of it, the name of it. But I'm glad for a place that's fundamental and not ashamed of it. Not just not just putting fundamental on the flyer, but they actually are fundamental. And I'm glad to be part of the church here and excited about what God's going to do. Thank you for coming. And appreciate all the work that's gone in, don't you? Doesn't it look good? If you look real close, that's all Plays Mill church members in the... No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I was looking. I'm like, I'm trying to see if we know anybody there. Uh, but man, a lot of work's gone into it. And we got to give Brother Davis a round of applause for what he's done. Not yet. He's not even in here. But anyway, all right, Nehemiah chapter... But some, one of these days, Nehemiah chapter number 2, we'll read verse number 11 down through verse number uh, 18 tonight. And we'll get right into the message. The Bible says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days... And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Uh, then I went on to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass." Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went, or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I want to draw your attention to verse number 12, where the Bible says, Nehemiah said, I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. And what he does is there on the third night that he's in the city of Jerusalem, he rises in the middle of the night and he takes a walk around the city to view the destruction, to view the rubble, to view uh, just the devastation. God's city had once been a beacon of hope, and now it laid waste. And Nehemiah just went to go view the walls that had been broken down. The temple had been rebuilt, but the city was still ransacked all around the temple. Nehemiah takes a few men with him, and I, I thought it was interesting. Nehemiah did not tell these fellows what he was doing. The Bible said he didn't tell any man, nobody who went with him. He didn't give... Uh, to these people what God had been doing in his heart. He just silently walked with them around these walls. They view the wall together, and then they come back, and in verse 17, Nehemiah makes a plea to these individuals, and then the Jews in Jerusalem. He said, you see the distress that we're in? He said, now you see it. He said, you see how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are burned with fire. You see all the destruction. He said, now let us rise up and build. And in verse 18, they join with him, and they say, yeah, let's rise up and build. We'll build it together. What had been only Nehemiah's work is now going to become teamwork. 
Nehemiah, I believe, had a vision. I believe that God put a burden on his heart and the burden birthed a vision. He didn't just want to pray about it. He wanted to do something about it. But it's interesting that Nehemiah did not tell these men what he purposed to do until he first had them also go and view those walls. And I believe that in the silence of that night, what he did was he gave them opportunity to have a vision birthed in their own heart as well. I'm convinced that I cannot touch your heart until God touches your heart first. Tonight, I just want to preach a few minutes on this, on this thought. It's time we take a walk together. It's time we take a walk together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. In my own life, I pray that you'd help me to have more than a burden. I pray you'd give me a vision that produces action. God, I pray tonight that you'd raise up, maybe not a Nehemiah, but just some of those few men or some few ladies, just some folks who'll see the devastation, see our generation and get a burden to do something for the glory of God. I pray for this conference. Thank you for the good preaching already, for the good singing. I pray that you just meet with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs 29, Solomon pins, where there is no vision, the people perish. The hope of survival and the hope of victory for any given nation or generation or people is in direct connection with that generation or that nation or those people to have a vision. I don't mean just the ability to see, but I'm talking about the ability to see as God would have us see. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now tonight, I know you can see, but my question is this, do you have a vision? Vision is to the work of God what oxygen is to the lungs. Vision is to the work of God what blood is to the heart. It is vital. It's foundational. It's absolutely necessary and essential. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, there is a proverbial death. Now, I know you can see, but my question to you is is this. Do you have vision? It was Helen Keller, a woman who was born without the ability to physically see, who wrote, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. Jesus declared, for this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Listen, any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Vision propelled Abraham toward the promise of God. Vision swung the hammer and drove the nails that built the boat for Noah. Vision sent a small stone into the giant forehead of Goliath. Vision placed a group of frightened yet faithful believers in an upper room praying until the power of God came upon them. Tonight I know you see, but my question is, do you have vision? Vision has filled pulpits. Vision has built churches. Vision has evangelized mission fields. Vision has altered societies. Vision has changed the destiny of nations. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But where vision abounds, great things are done for the glory of God. I'm not talking about seeing how everybody else sees. I'm not talking about looking through the lens of man. But I'm talking about seeing as God sees and looking through the eye of faith in God. You can see, but do you have vision? It's the ability to see as God sees that bursts a hunger. It's the ability to see as God sees that fuels the fire that burns in a man's soul. To not just see, but to see like Him. That's what brings revival. That's what brings restoration. That's what will bring results. Tonight I know you see, but my question at this late hour is this. Do you have vision? Our nation, 
our churches and our families and all the souls that surround us every day. They don't need folks who see like they can see. They need somebody who can see the way God would have for us to see, to see with spiritual insight, to see past today and into eternity, to have a vision that produces action, to have a perception that moves us forward by faith in God. Can I say the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. Oh, how we need a preacher with vision. We need a soul winner with vision. We need a bus worker with vision. We need a singer with vision. We need a youth group member with vision. Not just somebody who sees the temporal, but somebody who can see all the way into eternity. Not just sight, but vision. That's what we need. Not just seeing with the natural eye, but seeing our nation and our generation and the possibility for revival through the spiritual eye. A burden says, I hope. A vision says, I will. A burden says, I'll pray. A vision says, I'll prepare. A burden says, I hope someone goes. A vision says, here am I. Send me. Oh, listen tonight, we need somebody to step out of the average into something extraordinary, out of mediocrity, into the next level, out of just business as usual, into that realm of doing something great for God. I don't want to sit on the sideline and watch the game play out. I don't want to sit on the sideline and cheer from the bleachers. I want to be in the game. But listen, it takes more than going through the motions. It takes more than being the average Joe in the youth department. We need someone who has a vision from Almighty God. I'm convinced if the death bell tolls on our generation of churches and our generation of ministries and our hope for revival in the cause of death, it will read, there was no vision and the people perished. Oh, tonight it is time that you and I take a walk together. Jerusalem was far from the glorious city it once had been. The gates are now burned with fire. The wall that once surrounded the city has been laid waste and ransacked by invading armies. Rubble stood uh, where once a monument for God had been erected on earth. When Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, the glory days were distant memory and the good times had come and gone. Now listen, Jerusalem was the city of God. That's where the great temple stood. Sacrifices were offered there. Praises were sung there. Man met with God there. It was once a place of joy. It was a scene of revival. It was a testimony to the world that the God of the Jew, Jehovah God, was on His throne. It was a holy place. It was a sacred place. It was the envy of the nation, a place, nations, a place blessed by God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 48, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in their palaces for a refuge. Every Israelite would have found hope in a thriving Jerusalem. Every Israelite would have found increased faith in a thriving Jerusalem. As the city of God prospered, so did the people of God. Oh, but listen, when we come to the book of Nehemiah, it's a far different situation. Now brokenness replaces the blessings of God. Destruction is evident where once the divine favor had rested. Jerusalem had gone from the top of the mountain to the lowest depth of the valley. Fourteen years prior to the passage we read, Ezra had returned to Jerusalem and began to rebuild the temple. But still, after repeated invasions from Gentile armies, the city of God had still laid waste. The walls had been burned with fire and broken down. The gates had been dismantled. Uh, Everywhere you would walk in the city, there would be constant reminders in the piles of rubble that God had
had blessed before, but that day wasn't their day. That God had moved in the past, but He's not theirs like He was in the past in the present. Once God had met with His people there, but that was a far cry and a distant day from the day. Can you imagine the heartache and the sorrow of those Jews, the 50,000 or so Jews that had returned to the city as every day they went about their business. They could worship God and maybe offer sacrifice, but there'd be a reminder that the glory days were not in their day. They testified to Him. God blessed in the past, but that's just in the past. 850 miles west, there's a far different scene. In the palace of the Persian king, the sites of destruction and the rubble are far removed. The palace stands in pristine condition. It's a picture of power and grandeur. In the Persian palace, a cupbearer gives a King Artaxerxes uh, his, his cup, his drink. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew who'd been carried away into Babylon during the third phase of the Babylonian invasion. Nehemiah's position put him in close proximity to the king. He would have some influence on the king. He would even have the attention or the ear of the king. As Nehemiah served in Shushan the palace, a, a Jew returned from Jerusalem to give a report back to the king. As he gave his report, Nehemiah inquires about his homeland and Nehemiah uh, comes to understand that the city is in shambles. The people who had returned uh, were suffering and the whole scene was a bad testimony on the God of heaven. In chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible said, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates of the river burned with fire. As these words leave the lips of the messenger, a fire begins to burn in the soul of Nehemiah, just as though the enemies had set the gates ablaze in Jerusalem. Now God was setting the cupbearer's soul on fire with a vision or a burden for his nation. Nehemiah is moved to tears. Nehemiah can't believe it. He can't stand to think that the city of God is in such a state. No doubt in his mind he could smell the smoke. In his imagination he could see the fire. No doubt he'd heard as a young child from his parents about how God had made a tabernacle in Jerusalem, how God, His glory was manifested in Jerusalem. He was so moved by it, so burdened about it. But what I like is this, Nehemiah does more than just cry over the situation of Jerusalem. He does more than just complain to man about the state of the city of God. But Nehemiah lets that fire burning in his heart cause his knee to bend and with tears staining his cheek, he gets in his prayer closet and cries out to God that God might do something on their behalf. Now, can I ask you something? I understand that every one of us could stand up and testify how rotten America is. I understand that. Every one of you could stand up and tell me about the problems. I hear preaching on the problem all the time. But my question is, when's the last time that you cared enough not just to complain, but to cry out to the One who can change the situation and turn darkness into light and night into day? Oh, into Nehemiah who doesn't just go and build the wall, but first gets on his knees and cries out to God to intervene. Now when we come to Nehemiah chapter 2, you've got to understand something. Four months have passed. It takes a little while to birth a vision. Four months of fasting, four months of prayer, four months of weeping. Nehemiah goes back into the presence of the king, and the king can tell by looking on his face that Nehemiah is upset. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, he reveals to the king that his heart aches over the condition of God's people and the condition of Jerusalem. Nehemiah tells the king that he's heard about the desolation there and now he desires to go and do something about it. Now, I like this. In chapter 1, Nehemiah asked God to do something about it. But after four months of talking with God, now he has a desire to have God use him to do something about it. I tell you what happened. His burden became a vision. It got a little bit deeper. He's not just asking God now to do it. He's saying, God, would you use me to do it? God, would you let me be a part of it? I'm willing to go if you'll send me. Oh, the king, it's an amazing thing. God moves on the heart of this heathen king. By the way, aren't you glad? It doesn't matter who's on the temporal throne as long as we know who's on the eternal throne. And I'm glad that God, I'm glad God can direct an elephant or steer a donkey. It doesn't matter either way. Uh, But anyway, I like it. He touches the heart of that heathen king. And So Nehemiah is given permission to go back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine it's exciting? As he approaches the city, he's about to approach the will of God for his life. This is why God formed him in his mother's womb. This is the plan that God has scripted for Nehemiah long before Nehemiah ever breathed his first breath of air. Oh, can I, I, I want to tell you something. That same God has a plan for you and I as well. I'd say Nehemiah was excited. I mean, he's approaching the city of God. In chapter 2, verse 11 uh, through 16, we read a moment ago, the Bible tells us about Nehemiah's arrival into the city. Now, on the third night that he's there, the Bible said Nehemiah walks along the outer limits of the city with a few of the men who had traveled with him to Jerusalem. Now as Nehemiah walks, he begins to view the broken down walls. He sees the charred wood that once were gates. They'd been burned with fire. He, he walks silently through the night. The rubble's so bad that he can't even ride on his horse or his camel, whatever it was. He can't navigate. He has to go on foot uh, to make it through all the wreckage there in the city. Uh, in verse 11 through 16, it tells us the record. We won't read it to save time. But as Nehemiah makes this midnight walk, I believe God is confirming uh, that vision in his heart. I believe God is cementing that purpose in the mind of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had simply heard about the rubble. He'd heard about the destruction, but now he took the time to see it. I mean, he's seeing the the, the, the rocks and he's seeing the uh, ravaged wood. He's seeing the state of the city. Now, I thought it was strange that as Nehemiah made his way around the city. The Bible said he didn't tell anybody that was with him what God was doing in his heart. He didn't tell a soul what he purposed to do. Now, they might have had a little insight, but I doubt they knew the extent of what Nehemiah was going to attempt to do for God. And by the way, you better watch out who you tell what you want to do for God, because not everybody's going to be happy about it, because they're, mo- they're scared, lazy... <clears throat> But anyway, Nehemiah just kept it to himself. I see as these fellows walk around the wall, uh, they come past the city. They begin at one gate and go to another one. They're walking around the walls of the city. And and these men are just there with him. After they return from their trip, Nehemiah gets them together. The Bible said in verse 16, nobody knew the rulers, the Jews, the men that were... Nobody knew what he was doing. But by verse 17 and 18, something amazing happens. Nehemiah stands up and addresses the crowd. And he says, Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. In essence, here's what Nehemiah is saying. Nehemiah is saying, now listen, you heard the report. You heard about the destruction. You heard about 
about all the travail and all the trouble in Jerusalem, but now you've seen it. You've walked with me this evening and you got to see it. I mean, your eyes are on the destruction. You got to see it firsthand. Now, now what God do in your heart? You took the time to view the city. Now, here's what I plan to do. I want to build those walls back. I want to fix those gates. What do y'all say? It's an amazing thing. They all join in and they say, let us rise up and build together. It was going to be Nehemiah alone, but now it's Nehemiah and the rest. Why? Because they took that walk together. It gave them time to consider and contemplate the need of the hour. And they said, you're not going to do it by yourself. That which was your vision, it's now my vision. That which was on your heart, now God's put it on our heart. We'll rise up and build together. Now listen, I believe the average Jew in that day would have had a burden for Jerusalem. All of them had good intentions. All of them wished the city would revive. But Nehemiah needed some that had more than just a burden. He said, I tell you, if you men are going to be a help for, to me, if you fellows are going to get the job done, we're going to have to have a vision. Can I say that walk was needed? It was a good thing they walked together. That walk around the city served the souls of those men who had joined Nehemiah, I believe. What had been Nehemiah's vision now became the vision of all those uh, who had accompanied him on that trip around the city. You see, before, no doubt, some of those men uh, would have looked with sight and just seen rubble. But now with a vision, they could see revival out of the rubble. Before, they just saw the difficulty. But now after they caught that vision, they saw that God was on His throne and God was greater than the difficulty. They might have thought before, I don't know, it seems like a waste of time. But now they realize if God be for us, who can be against us? All because they took that walk together. Now listen, I understand that not every person in this place tonight is going to be a Nehemiah. Not everybody is going to have a name that's recognized and in the forefront. I know that. But I believe every one of you could be one of those few that would just take a walk with some of these men of God or ladies of God and say, I'll hold up your hands and I'll get busy and I'll put a brick in the wall as well. Can I say it's time we take a walk together? It's time someone gets a vision for your own generation. It's time you sign up to serve. It's time you get tired of the reproach and get hungry for revival. It's time someone quit living off of borrowed burdens and hand me down dreams and get a personal vision of what God can do through you with your life in your generation. I'm not asking for your preacher's vision. I'm not asking for your parents' vision. I'm not looking for your Sunday school teacher's vision. I'm asking you, boy, what's your vision? Girl, I'm asking you, what's your vision? What do you want God to do through your life? Why don't you just get tired of all the travail and tired of all the trouble and tired of all the destruction and say it's time that somebody lets their burden grow into a vision. And Lord, I might not be much, but I know you're everything. And if you'll use me, here am I. Send me. It's time we take a walk together. It's time to let God open our eyes to the need of our hour. It's time we get a view of the situation. Quit looking through the temporal lens and see with an eternal eye. I don't want to be just like everybody else. I don't want to be like every other dead preacher. If I'm going to be a pastor, I want to run a thousand. If I'm going to be an evangelist, I'm going to preach every night. If I'm going to work a bus route, I want it full. You say, well, I don't think you ought to talk like that. That's because you don't want to do it. I do. Hey, I don't want to be like everybody else. We, that's not going to make a difference. We need somebody with a vision. There wasn't a crowd that followed Nehemiah. And I don't believe there'll be standing room only on this trip that we're going to take tonight either. But I do believe there might be somebody here. One young man. 
or one young lady who want to rise above the average and say, God, give me a vision. While we assemble here, I think if we'd be honest, the diagnosis of our hour is perishing. We can say, what do you mean? I mean churches are perishing. Families are perishing. Uh, friendships are perishing. Joy is perishing. Hope is perishing. Decency is perishing. Morality is perishing. Sanity is perishing. Society is perishing. Surely the diagnosis is in. In our generation, there is no vision. And many things are perishing. Oh, but what God could do if just one person would get a vision from God. Vision sees beyond self. Vision sees beyond our limitations. Vision sees past the difficulty. Vision does not take a survey to see who else is coming on the trip. Vision, his the gas and said you come with me or I'll leave you in the dust. Vision moves forward with faith in God. Now listen I'm talking about vision not ambition I'm not looking for your dream and I'm not looking for hope so's and I'm not looking for maybes. I'm talking about getting serious about God doing something with our life. It's time we took a walk. I mean no more playing games. No more going through the motions. No more skirting the issue. I believe God has you here for a purpose. I believe you're here for such a time as this. I believe God has you here for a reason. It's time we realize that God has a plan. The walls are broken down. we got to get a vision. We live in a day where everybody wants to be a revolutionary. But what we need is a visionary. We need someone who sees the need and with the help of God will settle to do something about it. I'm not looking for what's on your heart. That's not vision. I'm asking you to take what's on your heart off and say, God, what's on your heart? Put that on my heart. Tonight, I just want you to walk with me for a minute. I want you to take a walk with me just quickly around your generation. Let's take a walk around the walls of your generation and see all the lives being destroyed by drugs. In your mind, see the young girl who's wrecked her future and forfeited her decency just to have an opportunity to put a needle in her arm. That was somebody's baby. Somebody's daughter. See the young man who had much potential now laying up under some bridge begging for food all because he couldn't keep from putting pills down his throat. Maybe he used to sit in Sunday school. Maybe you attended your Christian school. Can I say they need more than somebody who just wants to make money and go through life and be a success temporally? They need someone with vision. Let's take a walk around the walls of your generation and see the effects of booze and liquor upon it. The walls are broken down as children grow up in a drunkard's home and innocent lives are lost to drunk drivers and purity is stolen because somebody's intoxicated. Can I say folks like that need more than just the average Christian? They need someone with a vision. Let's take a walk around the walls of your generation and see the riots and protests in our streets. I want you to see your peers. I'm talking about your peers, your own generation, confused about their gender and politicians polluting their minds and turning them into activists instead of patriots. They need somebody more than just the average Christian. They need someone with a vision. Let's take a walk around the walls of our generation. Let's see the rubble that lies about us left by the abortion clinic and the murderers' practices of Planned Parenthood and others like them. Millions of human lives are taken from the womb of their mothers. See the young girls who've made that awful decision because they didn't know where else to turn. What they needed was a young lady who'd mentor them. A soul winner who'd knock on their door. A Christian woman who'd have them be their guest in Sunday school. They needed a Christian with vision. Let's take a walk around the walls of this generation and notice the breakdown of the family. 
Look around you as marriages fall apart and divorce happens on a daily basis. Look around you as men and women try to redefine what marriage is and they replace God's definition with a perversion. Look at the younger generation, even so-called Christians. They avoid marriage altogether and just live together and have children. Can I say something? It's time you get serious about this thing. I, I fear for some of you young men who want to be pastors. You're going to have a hard time finding deacons if we don't start getting back to preaching biblical purity. Let's take a walk around the walls of this generation. Let's see, the, let, let, let's see across America, the inner cities of America. And see the millions of people who've never even heard the gospel. Our metropolitan area is almost swinging an entire nation's election. And we run from our major cities to go out into the country. Because it's harder there. We say, hey, listen, can I say, see, see the drug abuse and see the perversity and, and see the liberalism overtaking our major cities. And I'll tell you what we need is a young man who doesn't just look at a storefront and say, that's a good place for a Walmart, but they say, that's a good place for a Baptist church right there. And they don't run from uh, the high rent and they're not worried about the crowds and they're not scared about the language issues. They know that if God's on their side, man, they can get the job done. Get a vision. I mean, talking about a vision, that's what we need. Walk with me around the wall. It's not just our major city. Walk with me out there in rural America. That's where I'm from. Walk with me around West Virginia and in Kentucky and see thousands of little white churches empty. More people buried out back than ever sit inside. You say, well, I can only run 50 there. That's 50 more than you're running now. They say, well, if I can't run 1,000, I ain't going there. Maybe you could if you put in the work and run a bus 20 miles that direction. Why don't you get a vision? Isn't God bigger than that? Let's take a walk around this uh, generation for a minute. See the little children who need to hear about Jesus. They don't have a loving home. They don't have parents that make church a priority. They don't have a preacher. They don't have a Sunday school class. They feel unwanted. They would come to church if only somebody cared for them. They just need someone to come and get them. Don't you see the walls? It's time somebody gets a vision. Let's take a walk around our public schools and the places of higher education and watch as your generation of leaders is being taught a godless curriculum. And they're being indoctrinated with an anti-American sentiment. Let's take a walk around your generation. I'm almost through. See your peers and those just ahead of you burning cars and breaking windows. Desecrating the American flag and attempting to replace order with anarchy. See the broken down walls of decency and an outright attack upon the American dream. What kind of country are your children going to inherit? You say, oh, if we just get the right... God's looking for a Christian. I'm thankful for the other, but I tell you what God wants. He wants a young man or a young lady with vision. That's what He wants. Let's take a walk around your generation and see the compromise in our fundamental Baptist churches. I know it's late, but if you haven't heard anything, I'd like you to listen to this part. Let's take a walk around the walls and see as the hymn books are thrown out and the screens are brought in. Let's see the walls falling down as the music is changed to suit the times and the preachings watered down to suit the sinners. You say, well, it's not contemporary Christian. We took the drums out. Listen, if the, if the source is polluted, I'm not drinking the water. Let's take a walk. Let's take a walk around this generation see the walls. See the attitude of arrogance from the new kinds of preacher. They'd rather be seen as one of the goats than a shepherd of the sheep. Hello. I'll tell you what I worry about. I thank God for the college because I worry about where I'm going to preach in 20 years. I hope Jesus comes back or some of y'all get on this thing. Amen. Let's take a walk around your generation and just think about another generation. If that kind of a church has its way, 
there might not be this kind of a church to go to any longer. Don't you see the walls? I wonder if you can see it now. I know you came for fun, and it's fun. Youth conference is a lot of fun. Came for basketball and volleyball and laser tag and basket weaving. I don't know what all we do. But what if God had something bigger for you? What if God was going to upset your apple cart and do something amazing in your life? Can I say it again? The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. You say, well, I'm called to preach. What are you going to do with it? You say, well, I can play the piano. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to go to Bible college. What are you going to do with it? Well, I know how to work a bus route. What are you going to do with your life that's going to matter a million years from now? The pilgrims traveled 3,000 miles to come to America because of a vision. They wanted a place where they could worship freely, a place where they could raise their family and succeed. After being in, uh, in our country for four months, they, hired, uh, uh, they, they, they had elections and elected officials took office and they almost blew the whole thing up because they couldn't agree on whether or not to make a road 50 miles westward into the wilderness. They were split. Why we need to go 50 miles west for? We got everything we need right here. Vision brought them 3,000 miles. Didn't take long for them to lose that vision. Vision had Alyssa Roloff stand. Vision built a great church in Hammond, Indiana. Vision gave us what we have today. But I warn, warn you, it doesn't take long for that 3,000 miles to be memory and 50 miles to seem impossible. I wonder if there's a young man here tonight that will say, I want to do something bigger than just the average. I want God to use my life. I wonder if there is one. I want just one. If you're one of those young men, here's what I'll have you do. Just, if you want, just stand up and come to the altar right now. We'll have an invitation in a minute, but I want you to come first before everybody crowds it. You say, I want God to do something with my life. I don't care if you're in the balcony or down below. I'm talking about a vision. Everybody wants to be like the preacher, like Dr. Jorgensen or Brother Young. Can I say, they all had to take a walk one day. They took a walk. What about any young men? You say, I tell you, I want God to use my life. I'm not saying you're going to pastor a church or be an evangelist, but you just want to be an above average Christian young man. Have a vision. After these young men come forward, if there's some young ladies, listen, why don't you find a spot? If you can get here or if you want to if you pray in your pew, if you, if you ladies will go ahead and get to your uh, instruments, I'd appreciate it. Hey, it's time.